This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels. Welcome back to episode 28 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today is a surprise episode. I wasn't sure if I was going to record this episode, or perhaps I should say I wasn't sure if I was going to record this episode on time, but I managed to smash out the script for this episode, um, and you'll understand why it's a script shortly. So this episode is a celebration of sorts. It is celebrating my one year anniversary of having left my job. And I wanted to share the lessons that I have learned in the last year so that you can perhaps avoid making the same mistakes um, that I did and also share in the successful things that I did to help your businesses too. So I have 10 lessons to share with you today. And yes, that is why I had to script because you all know I'm senile and I couldn't remember everything without scripting it. I'm not going to be recording an introduction for this episode as it's a bonus episode and so I think we will just get straight into it. So a few thoughts before we begin. I spent a really, really long time thinking I would not be able to leave my job. So it is a very bizarre feeling to sit here and talk about my one year anniversary having just celebrated it. For a very long time, I carried a post-it in my wallet, uh, which was an affirmation that I'd read about in Jack Canfield's The Success Principles and also then heard uh, Joanna Penn talking about as well. And my post-it said, I will be writing full-time in 2020. And I signed it as well because I'm just that geeky. Every time I would buy a coffee or paid for something, I would dig into my wallet and I would see the note. And I would run those words through my head like a mantra or I guess an affirmation. It's such a small thing, but it really, really helped me to keep going when the times were dark and I was desperate to leave my job and I didn't think that that was going to be a possibility. Like I said, originally I thought I'd leave my job, my day job in 2020, this year. Instead, I left last year and 2020 is seeing me celebrate my one year anniversary of working for myself. <sighs> there are very few words to describe the feelings and that's kind of ironic because I'm a writer and I should be able to describe it but it is a overwhelming sense of pride, of joy, elation, of gratitude and appreciation for the fact that I am no longer in that dark place of being in a job that I hate. And, you know, I mean, I spent eight years in a job that often would bring me to tears because I, I just was so miserable doing what I was doing. So for anybody who is stuck in a similar place to where I was, just keep going. You can and you will get out. 
So here are my reflections and my 10 lessons that I've learnt in my first year as a full-time author. So the number one lesson is about income. When I left my job, I didn't really think about the money side, which is, well, I did and I didn't. It's kind of a juxtaposition. What I didn't care about was what I earned. I was so grateful just to be out that my sole goal was just to survive, which meant you know, not having to go back to a day job, not getting into debt and being able to pay all my bills. Well, I survived and I didn't have to go back to my day job. And thank goodness I didn't have to get into debt. And well, <laughs> unless you count the several hundred thousand pounds I've just spent on buying a house this week, um, I have no other debt. And that was one of the biggest things that I had to do in order to leave my job was to get out of debt. So I am very pleased to be at the end of my first year, having not had to go back or take any steps backwards. But on reflection, I think not having some kind of monetary aim was a huge, huge mistake of mine. It meant that I didn't focus on money or a monetary goal, and therefore I didn't try to earn anything more than whatever came to me. I coasted because I didn't really know any better. So where did this get me to at the end of my first year? I'm not going to go into details on figures, but one revenue stream in particular was responsible for 49% of my income. I would like to change that by the end of my second year to ensure that there is more of a balance across all of my income streams. There are two ways to do that. The first is to take less work from that particular revenue stream, or I can make more money overall and therefore it becomes a smaller percentage in my overall income. I personally would prefer to do the latter. Um, so what are the income streams that I have created in my first year? Well, obviously there's book sales, there's freelance work, there's Patreon, there's merchandise, uh, affiliate income, editing, and last but by no means least, the work that I do for the Alliance of Independent Authors. That is a good number of income streams and I am proud of having created those. However, in the next year, I want to add several more income streams and my focus is going to be audiobooks, courses, speaking, in, um, and an, a small investment portfolio and potentially uh, consulting and coaching as well, although I'm not as sure about that last one. The other thing that's really important for me going forward is to create a hard financial goal. I would love to surpass my old job income, but whether or not I can actually manage to do that in the coming year or whether it is in the third year remains to be seen. I am chopping and changing and losing some uh, income streams from this past year or amounts of work from this last year and therefore I would not only have to um, bridge the gap, I also have to then make up for the loss of those. So I, I'm setting it as a goal, I'm saying it here. Um, you can hear there's not a huge amount of confidence in my voice, but I am hoping that that is something that I can do. So my first takeaway or my first lesson for you is set income goals, pay attention to your finances and push for what you want to achieve. Lesson number two is business basics. 
For a while, you can coast along doing the fun stuff. You can make shit up, you can play God, you can destroy your protagonist's life. But eventually, you're going to have to buckle down and build a structure for yourself in your business. It's the bit that most of us creatives don't particularly enjoy. You need a mailing list. You need an autoresponder. And whether you like it or not, you're going to have to review and update your autoresponder. If you bring a new book on, if you release an audiobook, if you do anything that creates another thing, then you're gonna have to update your autoresponder. You need a reader magnet. You need accounting software. You probably need an accountant. You need a file naming structure. You wouldn't believe the number of times I've lost important documents just because I didn't have a file naming structure. You need a website, and maybe you should even be selling direct. You need a list of all your key assets and their information. You need a system and a process for writing books. It's no good drifting aimlessly if you want a career out of this. You need a process to ensure you finish books, time and time again. I could go on. There's a whole metric fuckload of business basics that you need to get a grip of. But the point is, there is only so long you can coast doing the good stuff and ignoring the business basics. In reflecting on my first year, I've realised I'm not bad at the business basics, but there's definitely stuff I've neglected. I'm going to end this lesson with an analogy. You can't build a house without foundations. If you do, that shit's going to fall down hard at some point. Well, the same goes for your business. You can't build a business without the basics. So takeaway lesson number two is don't forget the business basics. Write a task list, list or an action plan. And even if you attack just one of those business basics a month over the course of a year, you will get to maybe not the end of your list, but your business will certainly be in a more solid position. Make sure you do do these business basics so that your business is built on solid foundations. Number three is details matter. If you're not a detailed person, and I'm really not, then this is one of the harder lessons to learn. Harder because if you don't keep track of the details, it's going to cost you money, a whole crap ton of money. Here's an example. This very morning, my first hardback book arrived. I'd been hankering after hardbacks for a while. I know, as a good publisher, it's something I should have done years ago. But, you know, money, time, priorities all got in the way. So the Anatomy of Prose hardback arrived this morning and, oh, holy fuck balls! it is beautiful. It is stunning. It made me feel like a real author um, to hold this, you know, I sniffed it. I am not ashamed to admit I sniffed the book. But alas, there was something wrong. There was no text uh, printed on the spine. Of course, I'd chosen the hardback because I wanted the, the flappy jacket, the hard exterior, the end pages and the printed spine. But idiot me didn't check the details. I assumed they'd take the text on the spine cover and print it. Alas, that was not the case. So now I've ordered a proof hardback with rush delivery because everybody's delivery is slow right now. And of course, um, you know, that is the point of a proof copy. You get to see all the mistakes. But also, ugh, while this one error has only cost me 20 quid, when you add up all those 20 pound notes, it's a lot of money over time. And I can assure you, this is not the first kind of mistake I've made like this. 
Here's another example. My mailing list costs me £60 a month. And I, I have a reasonable size mailing list, but it is not huge like the likes of some authors I know. If only I'd taken the time to look at the details of price comparisons, I'd have realised sooner that I could swap providers uh, to somebody who provides a pretty much the same, uh, you know, integrations and, uh, uh, what's the word, you know, software capabilities and potentially save myself £40 a month, over 40 uh, if I pay annually. That could be like 500 quid. That's part of a holiday. What? I don't, I, I don't want to make excuses, but when you're tired and exhausted, you, or I should say, I tend to favour my strengths and not my weaknesses. But working on your weak, you know, working on your weaknesses is hard. It's tiring. And therefore, if you're already fucked, nobody really wants to do that. But as a good business person, as a good publisher, you gotta do the hard work. It does matter, guys. Maybe your weakness isn't details. Um, and if so, good for fucking you. It is my weakness. Uh, maybe your weakness is something else. Maybe you're not a strategic thinker. Maybe you're not a goals person. Whatever your weakness, I implore you to put some time and effort into strengthening it for the sake of your business and your income. So then takeaway and lesson three is don't forget the details. Don't be like me and in a rush to complete everything. Have you checked it over twice? Good. Check it a third time and then get someone else to check it for you too. Lesson four is about where your focus lies and focusing on you and your projects. So for me personally, I think this is probably the biggest and hardest lesson I've learned this year. And it's also the one I find most difficult to stick to. I'm a bit of a yes girl. I like saying yes to opportunities and yes to things, uh, you know, putting more things on my plate, doing more things. I want to do all of the exciting things. So this is one I really want to focus on going into my second year. Left my job, I took on stacks of freelance work because I was terrified not only that I wouldn't pay my bills, but that I might have to go back to a job that I hated. I wasn't really thinking about me, I was just hell-bent on surviving and making it to the end of my first year when, insert some magical, mythical, unicorn-shaped thing that would suddenly, spontane spontaneously make me realise that I had made it. And, you know, all was well. There was no unicorn, people. There was just 365 very fucking long days and a slow, gradual realisation. A realisation that was several fold. One, I don't actually need much money to survive. Working is expensive, guys. I cannot believe the amount of money that I saved from just not going into a day job. And also that... If I didn't need much money to survive, then I could take less freelance work from others and still pay all my bills and, bonus, get my time back. See, I realised that my time was more important than my money. I needed my time to create the things that I wanted to create. And sure, in the meantime, it meant earning a little less. But in the long run, earn far more because I'd have created things that I can sell. Things that will outlast my life and provide income not only for my child, but hopefully my grandchildren too. 
I knew this lesson, I've known this lesson for a long time, and I think it's a lesson we all know. But there's something very different about knowing a lesson and knowing a piece of knowledge and then living it in practice. I suppose I liken it a little to being a parent. Everyone gives you advice and tells you how parenting will be. You smile, you nod, you acknowledge their experience, but it doesn't really matter how much they say or you hear. It is an inexplicable journey that no secondhand lesson can prepare you for. So takeaway four, lesson four, is to expect to learn lessons that you've already learned all over again. They will have a different meaning and a different reality for you. Expect to learn lessons that you didn't think you'd learn. And no, I know this is a secondhand lesson, but believe me, your time is far more valuable than the money that you can exchange for it. Lesson five is keep learning, learn inside and learn outside. I spent a long time learning and studying the industry on my way to leaving my job. I consumed information, blogs, podcasts, courses. It would be easy to just stop once you reach that big goal of leaving your job. You've reached your dream. Why do you need to keep learning? But that would also be irresponsible. The only way to keep growing and learning and importantly, growing your income is to keep learning and keep changing. That means putting time and effort into consciously and intentionally studying the industry and your craft and your business so that you grow your knowledge. But for a number of reasons, I've been to fewer conferences this year, not because I wanted to go to less, but because <laughs> Corona Gate and a number of other, you know, random reasons. The ones I have been to, I've found me coming away with fewer and fewer lessons learned. I asked someone I respect why this was, and they made the point that most conferences are pitched at beginners or middle ground, middle, middle, you know, uh, what's the word? Middle people, people in the middle, you know what I mean. Once you've been to enough conferences, it's likely that you've soaked up the information that you're going to from the actual content sessions and conferences then become more about the networking and building relationships and partnerships and meeting people. So where does that leave you if you want to continue learning? Well, you have to grow your circle of learning. You have to reach into connecting sectors. You have to look at business and entrepreneurs. You have to look at your interests and whether that be just books, hopefully not, hopefully you have other interests. I, for example, am a podcaster, so I could look at podcasting industry. And you have to delve deep into those other sectors to keep soaking in inspiration and knowledge. My point to you is yes, the indie world is essential and you should still continue to educate yourself in our ever-changing industry. But and here's the crux of it. You can learn just as much about your own business and your own money making from our sector as you can from other industries and sectors. So don't stop, don't close down your circle of learning, grow it, look at other sectors. So takeaway lesson five is keep intentionally learning. Yes, learn from the ins learn from inside the indie sphere, but uh, please do keep an eye on the other sectors, on other business models, and learn what you can from other people in other industries. We're stopping here for a brief interlude. 
I didn't realise before I wrote this post that five of my lessons, my lessons are split exactly in half. Five of them were about business and money and all of the structural side of things. And the other five are about not necessarily mental health, but the mental side, the mindset of it. I didn't do that on purpose. It is literally how the lessons came out. And I, and I think given the content of the lessons, it's pretty ironic because I really, truly, having reflected on my last year, now believe that at least 80% of surviving your first year and actually about surviving long-term is about mental strength and resilience. It's about having the right mindset. So many of my, well, all of my next five reflections are focused on that side of the business. So, the next lesson, lesson five, is the leaps of faith don't stop with I quit. For a long while, I thought the only leap of faith I would have to make was leaving my day job. But oh, dear, sweet, naive Sasha, uh, in the words of Game of Thrones, you know nothing, Jon Snow. And that was a really bad accent. And I apologise profusely. I'll never do that again. If one thing is totally clear, it's that working for yourself is a continual kind of schooling. See, that faithful I quit leap was huge. I still remember sitting at the canteen table in my uh, workplace and physically shaking before I said the words. I mean, I, I mean, I, my shoulders were shaking, my hands were shaking, my body was shaking. It was the biggest fucking scariest thing I had ever done. And I've done some scary things. I have abseiled off of buildings, people. Um, but this saying I quit and leaping into the financial unknown was fucking terrifying. And I think that it's likely that that is probably the biggest leap of faith I will ever have to make. But never say never. You never know. I just spent over a quarter of a million pounds on a house, so that was a pretty big leap of faith too. And while nothing has come close to that sizable I quit leap of faith, there are definitely other leaps of faith cropping up along the way. From trusting your gut, deciding whether to enter a collaboration, deciding which project to create first, or whether to end a freelance relationship, the many leaps of faith don't really stop. In fact, if anything, they've gotten more frequent, though perhaps as my confidence and resilience has grown, each leap feels a little bit easier. So my takeaway five, my lesson learned five, is as brave as you had to be to say I quit, be prepared to use similar levels of bravery during your first year of business. Lesson six is you're on your own until you're not. One of the hardest and most fulfilling parts of working for myself is the fact that yes, while mistakes are my fault, so are all the successes. And I love that. Every pound, every penny that I earn is brought in through my hard work and my blood, sweat and tears. And that makes me so proud. I am standing on my own two feet, bringing in income all by myself. And I know that is not for everybody. Not everybody can cope with that pressure. I know that the safety of having a monthly paycheck is important to some people for a plethora of reasons. And I get it, trust me. I am a shitload grayer this a year on uh, than I was last year. In fact, I'm not even sure if I had any grays a year ago, and now I've got a lot of them. 
and it is definitely i fully blame it on the stress i mean i'm only 33 come on guys it can't be my age please um especially because neither of my parents went gray until they were in their 50s so i am definitely blaming it on the stress and being entirely responsible for your income is super stressful but you know what I kind of love it in a sick, masochistic sort of way. But all that said and done, what it is, is a pressured and isolating environment. I actually thought I'd get lonely working by myself, but in reality, I haven't at all. There really hasn't been time to be lonely. That said, I went into my year of, my first year of working for myself, intentionally wanting to cultivate friendships. And I've realized just how vital those friendships actually are. Spouses and loved ones, no matter how supportive they are, don't really get it. I adore my wife and I will forever be grateful for her support in helping me to leave my job. But there's definitely something that she and I think anybody else's loved one just doesn't understand. You need the solidarity of a friend who's been there and done it and wore five of the t-shirts. I'm not sure yet whether it's the mental highs and lows that we go on, the strange slant a creative mind has, or something about the weight of sole responsibility for a business, but there's definitely a connection that I need and that I yearn for with fellow writers, not, not just any writers, but writers that are either at a similar place or a place further down the line. There's something about that ability to chat with them about industry nonsense and business highs and lows, and for them to just get it, for them to understand. Whether you're an extrovert who finds it easy to make friends or not, you will find by the end of your first year is that those industry friends are vital, not only to you and your mental health, but actually just to helping sustain your business because they give you advice, they tell you the mistakes they've they've gone through, they help you when you are absolutely at your wit's end and decision fatigue exhausted. They will help you, you know, keep help you be rational and help you to see the bigger picture. To my friends, thank you. You know who you are and I appreciate you more than you know. To those people who are my peers, my seniors in this world, thank you for all of the advice that you have given me this year. It means more than you know. So my lesson six, my takeaway six, is to cultivate friendships, especially fellow writers or business owners. Cultivate peers, cultivate relationships with mentors, people who have been in the industry longer than you. Their advice, their knowledge, their support will be more important than you can know. Lesson number seven is all about resilience, both physical, mental and business resilience. And I will tangent a little bit here. Before I left my day job, I was buzzing off the excitement of I'm going to have all the hours in the day to write. Oh, Sasha. Oh, sweet, sweet, innocent Sasha. How fucking wrong you could be. Whatever you think you're going to get time-wise, halve it and assume that even that time is going to be pressured. 
I am deadly serious here. Transitioning took far longer than I thought it would. Even now, a year on, I don't really feel settled because things keep changing. And part of that is personal circumstances. I am about to move house again. I only moved house a year ago. Sorry if you can hear my son in the background. That is Coronagate for you. Anyway, where was I? Uh, yes, I'm about to move house again. Because I came to this house knowing that within 18 months we would be buying a house, it always felt transient. I never settled here. So trying to create habits and routines when you know you might potentially leave the area has been more than somewhat difficult. It did not help my transition and settling into a good business routine. Though when I move this time, it will be the last time for quite a while. We don't intend to move because we want our son to be able to finish school where we are. But added to that, my business model changed from quite significantly freelance to mostly working for myself now. And every time I've dropped and changed and moved things around on that front, that has meant another adjustment as well. In my first eight months of solo working life, I lost one full working week every month, every month. So in my first eight months, that was two entire months of not working. So actually out of eight months, I only worked six. And believe me, that was not through personal choice. Time is a fickle little bitch. And if you're not super strict with your working time, it will abandon you in flights of fancy and wholehearted fuck yous. And where did my time go? I'm not entirely sure. From, I guess, a family holiday to sick kids, dentist appointments, doctor's appointments, food deliveries, having to do an errand, the post office, whatever. It was very easy to have time vanish. Well, lesson learned. I have to be much stricter with my time going forward, but also more resilient with both my planning and my mental strength. Ensuring that I put slippage time on deadlines and launches and other project completions has really helped. When I was deciding my launch date for the Anatomy of Prose, I wanted it to be early April. Well, actually, I originally wanted it to be the end of March, so I'd completed and published in the first quarter. Never have I been more grateful for one of my friends pressuring me into a longer pre-order. If you're listening, Meglator, I owe you one. No sooner did I hit pre-order go live, having given myself an extra two months of just in case, thanks Meg, then coronavirus shut the country down, meaning I had a six-year-old around my feet 24 hours a day. Good fucking luck getting launch work done, Sasha. I could have let that crush me. I could have thrown a tantrum and despaired knowing that I couldn't do as much for my launch as I wanted, but there's no point. And this is where mental resilience comes in. Just because it will be a lower key launch doesn't mean I have to stop there or lose faith or throw my toys out of the pram. Once a book is launched, it is a launched book. It never goes out of, well, some books go out of date, but you know, it essentially doesn't go out of date. I can keep marketing it. I can keep promoting it. Once the kids go back to school, I can work that bit harder to keep the momentum going on that book. No matter what you think is going to happen when you leave your job, it won't. 
Life will consistently throw blockers and obstacles in your way. You're not going to have the endless streams of time for your business and your writing that you thought you would. Whether you thought you were going to write eight hours a day and suddenly you have a shit ton of business work to do, there's always going to be a surprise. I'm currently drowning in house and mortgage paperwork and then I'll be packing and moving and dealing with school changes. There's always going to be something trying to get in the way. Resilience, that's what you need. Expect things to get in your way. Prepare yourself mentally and give yourself as much wiggle room as possible, even if you don't think you need it. Just because you haven't got as much time as you planned doesn't mean you failed or your business isn't going to work. It will. You just have to be flexible and find a new route. So takeaway and lesson seven is expect things to get in your way. Prepare yourself mentally. Be kind when you don't hit your goals and dig deep to try a bit harder or try and find a different route. Try and find a way to be flexible and change things up next time. Give yourself, above all of these things, give yourself as much time as possible to hit your deadlines. Lesson number eight, you can't work 24 hours a day. Transition is brutal. You go from a day structure that effectively 90% of society follows to no rules, no boss, no expectations. You're on your own, kiddo, which means you get to make your own schedule too. And then suddenly you get to do the thing you love more than anything all day long. The temptation to just continue working all day and evening is real. Worse, there are no boundaries. Work is home is work is home. My office is in my house, so the lines of separation are blurred to say the least. Even though I'd happily work 24 hours a day, my body conks out and my family eventually strop, and rightly so. The lesson here is that eventually, despite my best intentions to work until my eyes bleed and pieces of my body fall off, I simply can't. This is still a work in progress. Getting the balance right is something I will probably always struggle with. I am an out and proud workaholic, made worse by the fact that I now love what I do and I have ridiculously big goals to achieve. So takeaway eight, lesson eight, is that balance is very hard to achieve, especially if you love your job. Get comfortable experimenting, and if your family tell you you're working too hard, don't get mad, just listen, they're probably right. Lesson nine, say yes until you have to say no. When I first left work, I've said this before, but I was absolutely terrified, almost to the point of paralysis. What if I couldn't pay my bills? What if I couldn't put food on the table? So I took on freelance work and a shitload of it. Unfortunately, that led me to the point of a mini burnout because I was still trying to do all of the things for my business too. I ended up exhausted and in a position where I'd spent most of my time work, uh, most of the time I'd worked on things that were for others instead of for my own writing project oh my goodness me, this is hard for me to say, instead of for my writing products or creating products that I could then sell. This was a gift and a curse because while it, it really did enable me to grow in confidence, over time I realised in as one of my other lessons that I could survive just fine without all the freelance work. 
no one was going to go hungry and if I was going to make this work then I needed to refocus my time on creating things that would last. But learning to say no to either quick cash or opportunities, perhaps speaking or, or collaborations or whatever, is tough. There is a mindset shift required. You have to value yourself. You have to realise your position in, in your business, in your industry, in, in the world, um, and that you don't have limits, limitless amounts of time and that eventually you are going to have to choose and choose where your priorities are. For me, in the next year, my priority is to work on products and books for myself that generate income. So yeah, takeaway nine is when you first leave your job, having a mix of freelance and passive income is good for reassurance and buying you time to grow your confidence. But eventually you are going to have to say no and that's okay. Which brings me to the last and one of the most important lessons, which is no matter what happens, this is better. In a way, a lot of this year long journey has been about survival. All I was focused on was just getting to the end to this magical unicorn moment that made me realise I'd made it and that I wasn't going to have to go back and that it was going to be okay. I had to defeat my fear, my, um, you know, imposter syndrome, my doubt. And so I guess that my first year has been a journey of empowerment. I was in the unfortunate position of not enjoying my day job. So I spent a long time struggling to stay positive because of that. And it's probably why a lot of the first year was spent shrouded in fear, fear of being broke, of having to go back, that I'd fail on and on and on. But I, much as I laugh about saying this, you know, mythical moment of one year, I, I kind of do feel like I've reached a point where I know that no matter what happens, no matter what I have to do to earn money, for me personally, this life is 100% better than anything that came before. Leaving work really, truly solidified what was important in my mind. When I look back at who I was a year ago and how crippled I was mentally, physically and emotionally, I know nothing can be that bad again. I won't allow it. And I am going to post a picture with this um, podcast and this uh, blog. It will be in my website show notes, which I took um, on one of my worst days. I was having a very bad mental health day. I was broken in my job. I was exhausted. I was desperate in the pits of despair to leave. And as much as it's painful to look at the pain in my face in this photo, I keep it as a reminder to always be grateful and appreciate where I am now and to never take it for granted and to always drive forward. I, I am going to continue to try and practice appreciation and gratitude even on the hard days because look, and this is probably my takeaway 10, no one said this was easy. No one said this was going to be um, an easy ride. Working for yourself is incredibly hard, but it's also fun. It's also play. And this is the best fucking job in the world. And it is worth every single millisecond of roller coaster emotion every day, every piece of blood, sweat and tears that it takes to get here. So I hope that these 10 lessons have 
either helped you to say I quit, to help you know that wherever you are in your journey, you can make this too. And yeah, go forth, write those words, and at some point, make sure you say I quit. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. Oh,